Well, good morning, ladies. Oh, I love it. We're all awake. This is wonderful. Okay. Well, there are two types of people in the world. The first type loves to stand on the stage and make jokes and have you laugh. And the second type is the type of people that prefer to sit in the audience and quietly laugh, but they don't want the spotlight on them. So let's just take a poll. Who here prefers to be the ones in the audience laughing? Okay, that's a lot of us. Who here wants to stand on the stage and have you laugh at them? Oh, only four of us, Amy and Rachel, are jumping and waving in the back. Okay, I honestly thought it would be more. Amy was going to write your names down for a future um, church talent show, but I guess it's basically the women's staff. So, being a comedian, sadly, does not seem to be in God's plan for my life. And in full transparency, 90% of the humor that ever appears on stage has been scripted, and even that has passed the stringent Jason filter. And I will tell you, he doesn't think I'm funny. The only one in our house that thinks I'm funny is Emma Ruth. And sometimes I think it's just polite little coos. She's like, bah. <laughs> but you know it does a mama's heart good. So... I think that's why I have a great respect for improv comedians, because they can walk into any situation, they read the room, and then somehow they come up with something that has hilarity and then a little truthful zing, and you're like, oh, well, that was really insightful, and now I'm laughing. And one of the techniques that I've learned is something called yes and, and it's the idea that you build upon what your partner says. You agree, and then you collaborate. You add to it. So, for example, if we were in an improv group today, you might say something like, Tiffany, it is so frigid outside today in Irving, Texas, and instead of me saying, no, no, it's in the 70s. It's actually hot and humid. Who are you? I would say yes. And have you seen the snowshoe sale at Target? I'm headed there right now. So you get it. We agree and we build upon. And those are the conversational rules in improv. If only prayer worked that way, right? I mean, wouldn't you love for God to respond yes and? Yes, I will heal you. And here's the winning lottery numbers to help with your suffering. I mean, yeah, there are so many things I would love for God to yes and in my life. But the truth is, while life sometimes feels like an improv, and it does, sometimes we're just kind of making it up as we go, life is rarely a comedy. And there is pain and suffering in this broken world of ours. And sometimes God responds to our prayer requests with a no. Now, during a normal conversation with a friend, what happens if you ask for something and they say no? For me, I'm conflict avoidant. I'm getting a little better at it. But if I receive a no, I'm done. I'm not going to ask for anything. I'm not going to say anything else. I just feel like that's the end of the conversation, full stop. But what if your friend said no and? No and. Would you lean in and listen? Would you be interested that there was more to be said that follows that no? Today we're talking, as I said, about the prayers that God says no to. And as much as I would love to stand up here and entertain you with an improv skit or give you reasons as to why God healed that person, but not this one, 
or why the tornado decimated that community, but not this city. The honest reason is that we don't know. There is great mystery in God's will. But there are things that we can cling to. There are guideposts. God has not left us without hope or without signs of his good and loving presence. And so today I'm going to be a companion with you in the mystery. And I have three guideposts that I want to share with you. The first is that God's no is not the absence of his love. The second is that God's no is not how the story ultimately ends. And finally, God's no doesn't stop his loving involvement. Sisters, this semester we are studying prayer, and we have learned that the purpose of prayer is to grow in intimacy with God and to become more like him. We've learned that God longs for us to draw near to him and to be in conversation with him. We've learned that he hears our prayers and he answers. Sometimes he answers with a yes, sometimes with a no, and sometimes with that wait that we can't quite figure out, is it a no or is it a yes? It's just a wait. Well, Amy and Alice taught us the prayers that God is most likely to answer with a yes. And personally, I loved this lesson because who of us doesn't want assurance, doesn't want confidence that these are prayers that not only please God, but that he is likely to answer. These are the requests for things um, that would bring God glory, that are in line with his character and his values, and that encourage spiritual growth and are for the good of others. We've also studied prayer requests that God is not likely to answer. And these are things that he would answer with a no. Things like praying um, with the wrong motives. Prayers that are offered with hindered sin or absent faith. Perhaps they're things that wouldn't bring God glory. Things that are against the natural order of things. Like saying, God, let me eat the whole chocolate cake and let it have no calories. I mean, that applies on our birthday, but come on, it doesn't apply on other days. Um, And then also prayers that are contradictory, like when a sports team prays, God, please don't let there be rain today on game day. And you also have a farmer in another part of the country praying for rain that very same day to water the crops. These are contradictory prayers. And so while we may not like these answers, I think for the most part we get it. We understand. Okay, that's how it is. God is not going to take my 24-hour day to a 26-hour day just so I can catch up on my favorite Netflix show. No, the real pain, the real confusion comes when we're praying for a good thing. When we're praying for those things that we believe are in line with God's character, that we think would be for his glory, and that we think would benefit others. Why doesn't God always answer those prayers with a yes? Sisters, this question matters deeply to me. And I know it matters deeply to so many of you today, sitting right here in this room right now. God, why didn't you spare my child from addiction? Why wasn't my friend spared from that fatal car accident? Why did you allow my husband to cheat on me? Why wasn't my mom healed of cancer? Why am I infertile? Why do I struggle with depression and anxiety? 
You know the silent prayers and the questions of your own heart. And they probably go something like, why God? Why? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Sisters, this is a message of hope. And in a prayer and a desire of comforting you with the comfort I've received from God, I want to share a bit of my story with you. As many of you know, my first child was born in February of 2018. And David was a precious little boy who was born with a rare congenital heart abnormality. And that meant he spent all 53 days of his life in the NICU. And one of the greatest gifts of my life was knowing that other people were interceding on behalf of my son. That it wasn't just Jason and I praying, that there was a whole community of people lifting him up. And one Tuesday, I got a text from Amy, and it was a picture of you all. You had canceled normal Bible study. And instead, you had devoted the hour to corporate intercessory prayer for the healing of my son. And you did exactly what we are called to do. We are called to bear the burdens of one another and lay them at the feet of Jesus. We are called to intercede for one another. It is our gift. It is our privilege. We are called to pray with fervency and frequency. And we are called to boldly pray in faith for healing. And yet, David's story did not end as I had hoped. And God said no to the healing of David's heart on earth. A friend of mine signs every email with this poignant phrase as part of her testimony. Prayer works. Prayer works. A few years ago, she suffered a surprising organ failure, and she faced a long road of extensive surgeries and recovery. And her church community covered her in prayer, and I'm happy to say that she is now so healthy. But every time I get an email from her and I read that line, prayer works, I find it convicting, and it's something I've been pondering, something I've been wrestling with. Because if I evaluate the effectiveness of my prayers on whether I get a yes response or not, is my hope in God or is my hope in an outcome? I may say, Lord, hear my prayers. I'm crying out to you. And we may genuinely be doing that. But often, too often, myself included, I'm praying, my will be done. My will be done. I know you have your will, but could you bless mine? But sisters, if the purpose of prayer is to draw near to the Lord and to be transformed of his Im- in his image, then whatever God's response, be it yes or no, prayer is effective. It has drawn me closer to the heart of God. It has shaped me in his image. 
And so I can stand up here today and tell you, sisters, prayer works in the yeses and in the noes of life. Prayer works. I'm going to get on my soapbox for a minute because I have seen deep devastation and destruction done regarding this topic. And one of the things that most quickly angers me is the preaching of false gospels. You know, as Bible students, that the gospel is the capital G, good news of Jesus's coming kingdom. And yet there are a lot of people out there that package something as good news, but it's actually spiritually destructive to our souls. They presume to speak for God. They offer false hope and they declare God's yes when he has not promised that. And I'm just going to be really blunt. Name it and claim it. Theology is a fraud. The health and wealth gospel is no gospel at all. If you go back to that 2 Corinthians chapter 1 passage, you'll see that Paul names both troubles and suffering as realities in the Christian life. We as believers are told to expect suffering. We are not exempt from it. We are not promised ease, financial gain, worldly favor, status, power, longevity, health. We're not promised any of that. What are we promised? What did he say in that verse? We are promised the father of compassion, the God of all comfort. He will be with us. He will be comforting us. And he will give us all that we need. Now, sisters, when a prosperity teacher asks a suffering person to place his or her face to make it contingent upon a miraculous healing, what happens if God says no? What happens if that person isn't healed? One of two things. Either the suffering person is shamed and condemned because they didn't have enough faith to be healed. Or the suffering person questions their belief in God. Either way, the suffering person suffers more and God is made out to be a very small God who can be manipulated and controlled by human behavior. And sisters, I don't think we want a God like that. That is not the God we worship. The eloquent C.S. Lewis says it best. The essence of request, as distinct from compulsion, is that it may or may not be granted. And if an infinitely wise being listens to the requests of finite and foolish creatures, of course he will sometimes grant and sometimes refuse them. Invariable success in prayer would not prove the Christian doctrine at all. It would simply prove something much more like magic. I liked magic like the rest of us. But sisters, Jesus is not a character at Disney World, and our wish is not his command. Please do not let anyone tell you otherwise. But hear this. God's no is not the absence of his love. That's our first guidepost. When God responds to a prayer with no, he also says... No, and that is not the absence of my love. Alice so wisely pointed out in this lesson that the church was praying for the release of both James and Peter at the very same time. And yet we know what happened. 
James was beheaded, and Peter was released. Peter and Paul both experienced miraculous deliverance from prison, and later both were martyred for their faith. Jesus Christ, the perfect son of God and the only truly innocent sufferer also took on the sins of the world and was crucified. Do you hear those ands? And, and, that is the mystery of God's will. That is sometimes the seeming paradox where we find ourselves. Tim Keller asserts, sometimes in his great mercy, God does save us from suffering. Praise God. But that is not the mark of his faithfulness. We see in scripture that many he loved deeply are also those who suffered greatly. The apostle Paul is one who suffered greatly and he wrote a powerful declaration. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And sisters, some of you need to hear that truth today. Some of you need to receive that. Some of you are carrying a crushing burden and believe that somehow, somewhere, you have run afoul of God and he is chasing you down and punishing you. But we serve a God of comfort, not a God of torment. Nothing, literally nothing, can separate us from the love of God. When Jesus looks at you, if you have received a no, he says no. And that and, that no is not the absence of my love. Will you receive that? He says, I love you. The second guidepost to remember is this. God's no is not how the story ultimately ends. A brave woman asked me a few weeks ago, Tiffany, how can you still trust in a good God when he allowed David to die? And honestly, I really appreciated that question because it came with sincerity and a genuine asking. It was a question born out of her own life circumstances. Why God, why did you allow blank to happen? And our conversation continued, and she eventually asked, why didn't God do something when X happened in my life? Why didn't he intervene? Where was he? And sisters, I say this with all sincerity. He already has. God already has done something. He already has intervened so that sin and suffering and pain and brokenness would not be how the story ultimately ends. Jesus came. He came and he lived a perfect sinless life, though he was tempted and tried in every way, though he experienced every suffering we could ever imagine. He took on the sins of the world and he was died and buried and rose again three days later and sits at the right hand of the father. Our debts have been forgiven. If you are a believer, you are reconciled to God, the father, you have eternal life and you have the Holy spirit abiding in you. God is with you. Sisters, the one who saved you is the one who is also writing the story. And this is how the story ultimately ends. This is the picture that we look forward to.
John says in Revelation, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with him. Them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and they will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. On that great day, all sad things will be untrue. All evil will be undone. So what do we do in the meantime? What do we do when God says no? We remember first that God's no is not the absence of his love. Second, we remember that God's no is not how the story ultimately ends. And finally, we remember that God's no does not stop his loving involvement in our life. You know, I think Paul could say that nothing could separate him from the love of God because, among other things, he personally knew that. He had lived that out. In 2 Corinthians 12, he writes this. Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in persecutions, in insults, in hardships, and in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul didn't receive the answer he was hoping for. Instead, he received an answer that proved to be more than sufficient for him. I will be with you. My grace is sufficient. One of my faith heroes is my cousin, Crystal. And since the age of 14, she has suffered chronic and debilitating pain to the point that for an entire year, she was completely bedridden. And for 23 years, we have all prayed diligently for her physical healing. Thus far, God has said no to her physical healing. Instead, he has said, I will be with you. I will give you everything needed to walk this difficult road. And friends, Crystal has a vibrant relationship unlike any that I have ever seen with the Lord. She lives in complete and utter dependence upon God, the dependence to even give her the energy to get out of bed and do the most basic of things. And yet, and yet she is genuinely joyful and she believes God to be good and would quickly tell anyone who asks. You see, her faith has been tested and tried and it is true and it is deep. And if the purpose of prayer is to grow in relationship with God, and to be transformed in his image, then I would say that our prayers for Crystal have been effective. Now, to be clear, God is not the author of evil. Him bringing good from a bad situation does not make the bad situation good. And let's never mistake that. 
But what I am saying is that God is in the business of redeeming the broken things, of making them new. So what is God redeeming in your painful situation? What is he making new? How is he showing you his good and his loving presence? God's no was not the end of his involvement in Paul's life. God's no has not meant the end of his loving involvement in my life or in Crystal's life. And if God has said no to something that you have prayed for, it is not the end of his loving involvement in your life either. So when God answers our prayers with a no, I want you to remember three things. God's no is not the absence of his love. God's no is not how the story ultimately ends. And God's no doesn't stop his loving involvement. Paul says in Romans 8 verses 31 through 34 that our risen Savior is interceding for us at the right hand of God. Jesus knows what we need. He has provided it in himself. And he personally is praying on our behalf. We may not always receive the answer we had hoped for, but when we pray, we can be certain of one thing, and this is the very best thing. We have Jesus, and he never disappoints.